the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. How do we define gender identity? And then, should the Ten Commandments really be in public school classrooms? You're listening to The Common Good. Happy Monday, friends. Welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. So glad that you are with us today on a Monday. Aubrey, I feel like the up and down nature of the weather, the being outside in the hot, the being outside in the cold, it finally got me. I am, got you. I got, the, I got that cold that everybody has because Chicago cannot figure out its springtime weather. It actually is so depressing. Like yesterday in church, one of my sons was just, he's not sick, but he was sneezing through our entire church service because of this crazy weather. Like his allergies are going crazy. So I know I like when we first started chatting this afternoon, I was like, Brian, are you sick? Like you're not mm-hmm. feeling that good. So I'm so sorry. I hope it's fast. It's just that cold. Everyone has it. Yeah, and here's everyone why. Everyone has it. Yeah. Let me describe my day yesterday. Even I was already sick. I went to church and then my daughter, uh, she had a softball tournament and it was all exciting. It's on the schedule. You know, you're thinking when you put an April 30th uh, day of softball in your calendar, it's going to be 65 degrees. Nope. Me and my wife went out and we sat in the rain and the cold and I stayed for the first game. I stayed for the first game and there was another game to go. My wife said, why don't you just go home? I'll stay for the second game. (laughs) And you're just like, none of us thought that nobody would have scheduled these if we knew it was going to be 45 and raining. So it's any wonder everybody's sick right now because it's so sad. How are you feeling these days? This is uh, Mm. this is mid 40s radio where we're like, and how how are your ailments? I know it's so sad, isn't it? Yeah. If you didn't tune in last week, you might have missed. I have an autoimmune disease and it just decided to show up out of nowhere last weekend. I was in so much pain. Um, and Brian covered for me quite a bit last week. I, I am incrementally better. So I'm good. celebrating the goodness of God in the little bit betterness. The other half of me is wishing I was a hundred percent better. And I'm, I'm not quite there yet. I, especially in the mornings, I wake up in just excruciating pain, which that's actually part of my disease is like, it's worse in the morning. And then as time goes on, I start to feel a little bit better. So I'm just, you know, aware of that and I'll get through it. I okay. will get through it. But this morning, you know, Kevin's been out of town. I don't know if our listeners knew that he's been hiking in Utah, which I want to talk about a little bit later, maybe later this week. Um, but so I've been sleeping alone in bed. And anyway, he like kind of rolled over and just like kind of hit me the wrong way. And I literally was like, ah, get off me, get off me. <laughs> he's like, sorry. sorry, sorry. <laughs> so things are still a little dramatic as we adjust back to life with Kevin and a wife in pain. It's good times. At some point, you're going to get the text from your husband like, hey, I got another opportunity to leave town. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be like, please go. Please go. <laughs> I am going. So, uh, yeah, you're, we are glad that you all are with us as we play a little bit. Uh, you know, we're both fine. But uh, we're colds. playing injured. Your yours is a much bigger deal, but hey, we're 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 going for it today. We are back at it. All right, I don't know, Aubrey. Sometimes Twitter is a a weird place to gauge what is the main conversations of the world. But here's the deal. I feel like from I don't know what the algorithm is right now, 
but I feel like from both sides of the debate, uh, my Twitter feed is just full with people um, commenting and uh, pontificating about gender identity right now. And about... so I've told you, I'm not on Twitter, and I, this is so this is interesting. Let me let me hear. Like, tell me what you're hearing. Oh, I, and so it's people because you know now they have that whole thing on Twitter where it's not even people you follow, but it's people that might be talking about things that you'd find. And maybe I've bookmarked too many things for the show, uh, articles about this or that 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 that's what's popping up. But I wanted to read one particular one because uh, this person uh, who calls herself in her bio activist, healer, radical, intersectionalist poet. Wow, Eco- she's an ecosexual, and her pronouns. It says pronouns variable. <laughs> so, okay. What's her name or uh, their name? Uh, Titiana McGrath. Okay. I didn't know if I happened. I mean, I don't know oh. a lot of ecosexuals, but yep. I, yep. I don't know what that means. I'm I so interested either. in that. Can, I'm, I'm going to look that up while you say more. I love – We somebody needs to save the audio where you just said, I don't know what an ecosexual means. Quote, I'm so interested in that. <laughs> I think I also – I think – I'm glad you caught that because I realized I thought I said, I love that so much. <laughs> okay. Oh, I found out. Are you ready? I, oh, I don't know. No. I don't know oh, no. Brian, I need to inform you of this. But okay, go it's, ahead. Pag- it's pagan. I'll just sure, say it. Sure, sure. Uh, there's, there's sexual – sexicology or ecosexuality, which is a radical form of environmental activism based around nature fetishism, fetishism, the idea of the earth as a lover. Nope. Nope. Here's the other weird thing. You know, can I say something? Sorry, you're about to say something. I'm going to say something too. I was with a group of young adults on Saturday at Park Community Church in Chicago, and we were talking about what it means to be made in the image of God. And we looked at Genesis 1, 26 through 31, and all of these sort of beautiful gifts that God has given us. What's so interesting, like even this, like God gave us the earth for our provision and gave the earth to us for us to mandate and make flourish, right? Um, sin takes these beautiful gifts of God and twists them in such a way yeah. that like, this is a great example of that. The earth is God's gift, but now it gets perverted because of sin. And so we just need Jesus to like bring us back to ultimately yeah, God's good. good plan for us. That's anyway, good. that just reminded me of that. Okay, go ahead. Also, and then I'm going to read what she wrote. Her uh, In her bio, she also writes non-white, but her picture yeah. is as white as can be. And I'm just so like, she's there... white passing maybe, but then that's the question of like some people who like don't identify as well, white. And I that... don't think that's. It... That's ahead, what we're sorry. about to get at because that's her gender identity. So she writes this. This is what I want to get to. She says, why do bigots find gender gender identity so confusing? And now she's going to define it. And this is why I wanted to read it because a lot okay, of us go, what do we mean by this? What is What does anybody mean by this? Uh, she asks, why is it so confusing? And I was more confused after I read her definition. So here it is. It simply means – the immutable yet fluid feeling that one is male or female or neither or both based on conceptions of masculinity and femininity that are innate, but also social constructs that don't exist. This really isn't that hard. I almost need you to read this to me one more time. Okay, I, I'll read it. Okay. It simply means the immutable 
Immutable is unchanging, right? Right. Immutable yet fluid. So Which that right there is an oxymoron. Yeah. Right. <laughs> that one is male or female or neither or both based on conceptions of masculinity or femininity that are innate, but also social constructs. This really isn't hard. Actually, that is the most paradoxical statement I've ever <laughs> heard in my life. So it is hard. Don't say it's that it, hard. And that's why I wanted to start there, because I think for a lot of us, the whole debate, it runs deep. And I think it actually runs to the Genesis one stuff that you taught on this week. But it's it's so confusing. What does anybody mean fluid and uh, innate and feelings? There was a very important word she used there being fa- feelings and social construct. Uh, there, there's hmm, how do I want to put this? There's really nothing foundational that we can all even agree on definitionally. That's yeah, what all that, of us who that are gets complicated. A lot of us who are Christians, right, are saying, hey, male and female created by God. Those are created by God. Those are not changeable. That's this. And people like this are like, everything's fluid. Everything's feeling. Everything's social construct. When you're coming from two completely opposite ways, it just doesn't surprise me that yeah, we're like, moving away from each other here. Yeah, like when your ontology is mm-hmm. is different, your understanding of being is different, then yeah, you just can't agree. And so I do think like this is where a relationship matters so deeply to have a conversation with someone who's different than you and go, okay, here's my understanding. I This is what I've gathered from scripture, from my generation, from how I grew up understanding you know, biological gender. I, here's where I think we might agree that our genders have been put into two weird of boxes and men have to be this and women have to be this. So let there's some area of agreement. Here's some area of a disagreement. Help me understand where you're coming from because that is not my perspective at all. And I wonder, you know, like I, and I'm not saying that sounds easy, right? Like what I just said sounds sure. so easy. You just sit across the table from someone and have a great dialogue and you learn from each other. I know that's not actually as easy as I'm making it sound, but like these conversations can't happen in silos. And like this tweet you just said sounds so like it's happening in a silo. Like, are you actually engaging with people who think differently than you and might not go, Oh, that's easy. Like, I don't know. We have to be able to, I don't, I don't know really what I'm trying to say. Just, we have to have these conversations relationally. And you and I talk a lot about not demonizing other people, right? We could disagree without making people out to be the enemy. Yeah. Uh, the ver- the very fact that she started the tweet of, I don't get why bigots find this so confusing. Uh, she played her cards there, right? Of how she yeah. sees anybody who yeah. would disagree with her. Right. And I don't think that we as Christians can match that vitriol. Like that can't be the goal. Mm-hmm. Like to be like, nope. well, then I'm going to call you a bigot. I'm nope. going to call you... This is where the old turn the other cheek. This is where this comes forward. Believe what you believe and stand stand your ground. Yeah, yeah. But in a way that doesn't match what she did here. Hey, all you bigots, here's what you're missing. Here's what the Bible you. says. Yeah, Let no, that's tell you. No, no, no. That's uh, not so, godly. Yeah, so definitions are supposed to make things less confusing. Didn't feel like that happened with that definition. Well, coming up next. Wow. All right, Aubrey, we just hit on people who are probably to the left of us. Let's hit on people who are probably to the right of us. The Ten Commandments and prayer, should they be by law in public schools? Something interesting happening down in Texas. We are going to weigh in. Going to do that next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. It's May 1st. Uh, Yeah, that's all I have to say. It's going to be May. May. What was that? Is that actually a song? You don't know that? It's gonna be May. 
No. So that's a that I'm sure I I'm sure I sang it exactly like it's uh-huh, supposed to uh-huh. sound. But there's a Backstreet Boys song, or it might be a Justin Timberlake song, where he says, I think it's Backstreet, where he says, it, or In Sync. Sorry, that was his. Okay. It's gonna be May, and everyone posts that as he's saying it's gonna be me. I was just gonna say, isn't that line? It's gonna be me. Like I know yes, what you're but, singing then. But in oh. pop culture, which you're too old to understand pop culture, by but in <laughs> pop culture, people often post a picture of Justin Timberlake and it says it's gonna be May, and they post that today. Like if you go on Instagram, you'll probably see that gotcha. all over Insta. Gotcha. Yeah. So. Okay, I'm good with that. Yeah, no, you and I are the same age. Three more days, and my birthday's coming, and then I'll be. It's almost your you. birthday. That's what I was <laughs> gonna say. It's Brian Fromm's birthday week, and birthday he, has week. The, he has the best birthday ever because it's a Star Wars day. It is. May the, the fourth star- be with you. Is we'll Brian's talk about birthday. this when it actually comes. But I didn't know that until like two years ago. Somebody said you have your birthday's on Star Wars day, and I looked at them like, "Were you like what?" <laughs> and then they're like, "May the fourth be with you." I'm like, "Oh, okay." Okay. Oh, I get it. I get it. It works. So your birthday's on Thursday. This is so exciting. It is. Everybody needs to mark it down. That's a, that yeah. is the pinnacle of the week. Okay. Aubrey, it's happened again. We have these talks about what is what should and should not be um permitted in the public schools, what should and should not be pushed in the public schools, uh and what should or should not be mandated. So down in the state of Texas, Dan Patrick, their lieutenant governor, uh, he said this uh, recently, allowing the Ten Commandments and prayer back into our public schools is one step we can make uh, take to make sure that all Texans have the right to freely express their sincerely held religious beliefs. I will never stop fighting for religious liberty in Texas. And so it is spark this debate about the hanging of the Ten Commandments Mm. and prayer in school. And uh, we're talking very clearly about public schools here. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we are big fans of religious liberty in this. But I was going to ask you, what do you think? I'll start. Uh, I am all for the hanging of the uh, Ten Commandments. I'm all for prayer in school. As long as you're good with it for the religions that you do not aspire, uh, uh, you do yeah. not agree with. Align with, yeah. That has more to do, that has less to do with me being a Christian and more about me being an American. Yeah. That the, the important word here in this is public school. Yeah. And that these schools are supposed to treat equally all faiths, non-faiths. Yeah. Uh, And this gets at the heart of some of the stuff that I've and we have talked about that are really bothering us about the public schools right now, uh, that they are seem to be taking up really, um, you know, progressive topics that we disagree with. Yeah. But they are presenting them in such a way to say this is this. You must agree with this. Yeah. This is sort of truth for everybody. Yeah. That is not the role of the public schools. Right. Uh, And so, therefore, I also don't think that. The role of the public schools is to be teaching the Ten Commandments, unless you're also teaching yeah. the the basis of Hinduism and yeah. this and that. Yeah. And sure, teach it all as history and teach it all as mm-hmm. literature or whatever else. But to say we want to – because Christians might be the majority, we want to push Christian stuff in schools, it's a real slippery slope to when we're not the majority. <laughs> I mean, I think that's a really school. I think that's a really good point. Brian, I think what you're talking about, though, is something that a lot of Christians would push back on. Like, why shouldn't we want the Ten Commandments in school? They're good. Why shouldn't we want prayer in school? Mm-hmm. They're good. What you're talking about is like just OK, like 
if you're going to fight for that, then you have to be willing to fight for your neighbor who doesn't share the same faith to have their faith represented in school as well. So the question is, like, does school become a place that's emphasizing any type of faith? And I, I think where I this is where I have always sort of struggled with this debate. I understand what they mean this like legally, but I have always felt like you guys, nobody can take prayer out of school. Nobody right. can take the Ten Commandments out of school. Like if Christians are there, there's going to be people praying. If Christians are there, they're going to be people that are honoring the Ten Commandments. And I and I know I know that the debate is legally right, but I still am like nobody has the power to take prayer out of school. Nobody has mm-hmm. the power to take the Spirit of God out of schools. Nobody has the power to take Christians out of schools. But I think the the debate comes down to like, if we're supposedly a Christian nation, we should be able to have the 10 commandments in schools. In the past we have, in the past we've prayed in schools. And again, like Brian said, we're talking about public schools, of course. Right. right. So for people who might disagree with you and me, what do you think the, like, what's the passion behind it? What's the passion? Why people want this to happen? I think yeah. we see our culture Go into hell in a handbasket. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. Go back, hit rewind if you're on the podcast, 10 minutes and listen right. to the conversation <laughs> we had about gender identity just earlier in this show. And um, and so what do we immediately do? Well, people need Jesus. A hundred percent. I agree with they that. They do. How do we stop what's going on in the public schools? Hang the Ten Commandments. Get more. Cr- I understand that. But ultimately, uh just as I don't want to have my kid in the public school being pushed, you know, to pray to Allah multiple right. times a day right. or being taught atheism as the only logical way of of belief system or whatever else or all the gender uh, sexuality stuff. I don't want them being I don't want their worldview being formed in school. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. Then in the same way, we have to show that same respect to other people. Mm-hmm. You know where the Ten Commandments should be taught? Your church. Yeah, you know absolutely. They, you want to know where they should be hung if you want to hang them? Your, In your house. Yep, absolutely. Go for it. Like you yeah. and I, we are all for we want to see revival in our nation. We want to see absolutely. a coming to Jesus. Absolutely. The school, this is how I'd put it, Aubrey. We want revival. I just don't believe the public schools by mandate uh, are the vehicle for that. Yeah, uh, I and... I think that's a really I think that's a really clear line in my mind as well too, Brian. But lots of people disagree with us sure. on that sure. for for sure. But I don't think the public school is the place for spiritual formation either. Like, and I love the public schools. My kids are in the public schools, but I I'm with you. Like, I don't want them being trained to pray to Allah. I don't mind them learning about different religions. I actually think that's really good and healthy for them. In fact, I want them to. But I don't want them like if there are tenants of these other faiths hung up right beside the Christian faith. I don't know. Like, yeah, I think it just isn't the place. I think what also bothers me is when I see reactions to stories like this, there's like a, it's like there's a scoreboard out there Mm -hmm. for some people. And when they read, oh, the Texas lieutenant governor wants to put the 10 commandments back in the schools. Oh, score one for the Christians. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. When, you know, the board of, you know, the, the state of Illinois is mandating this sex ed curriculum that's really out there. Score one for the non-Christian. And, and yeah. it's like this game, this fight that we don't even think about the ramifications for. Like, I, I just don't 
if if there are certain things I don't want my kids hearing about and learning in school, we have to think about we have to put ourselves in the our shoes of our neighbors who may not mm-hmm. be Christians. We pray that they'll come to Christ. I just absolutely. Don't think, with that said, I just don't think it's religious freedom to be hanging the Ten Commandments. You know who it's not. Yeah, I. You know who it's not religious freedom for? The other religions. Like that's, that's just, what I was just thinking. Like I don't think that's a constitutional definition of religious liberty or religious mm-hmm. freedom. And I'm with you. Like I, I want I want us to have religious freedom, but that needs to be true across the board. If we're gonna that's fight right. for it, we have to fight for it across the board. Yep. And and there are things I don't want my kids having in the public schools. So therefore, uh we need to think about that across the board for everybody. So I'm sure some of you disagree with that, but I would encourage you to think it through, read the articles, think about it, about are there things you don't want your kids learning about in school and how does that play into this conversation? Brian, we had a baptism service yesterday because oh, it was the, it, it, was it the last Sunday of the month? I guess it was. Did it was you have a, April 30th. I feel like a lot of churches have baptisms kind of on that same schedule or they do like child dedications on the other ones. Interesting. Um, but anyway, we had a baptism service yesterday and it was amazing. Uh, I hope it's okay for me to say that our producer, uh, Laura Finch, one of her children was baptized yesterday. So that was very, very special. Yay. And um, actually, Kevin kind of called for spontaneous baptisms, which we've only done one other time at Renewal Church. And that time, one person got baptized. This time, I think it was like six people Whoa. got baptized. Yeah, we like took a break in the service and a bunch of people met Kevin back at the... like a table in the back and we had things prepared for them shorts and t-shirts and towels because obviously they weren't ready but we even had we have a um soccer coach christian soccer coach at our church there are a couple of his soccer kids there that were coming to get baptized there so he got to baptize them like it was an amazing like the whole thing was moving it was amazing um but here what here's what was very interesting to me about it the soccer um guys that were baptized the soccer players that they were twins actually i think they were early 20s okay everybody else was younger everybody else was teenage or younger and it was just interesting to me to think about the next generation and like whoa god you're doing something in the next generation you're calling kids to you yeah And um, one of the stories, I won't go into too many details because it's not my story to tell, but I do just want to like glorify God for this. One of the planned baptisms, her parents have not been to church in, I think, two or three years. Someone invited them to renewal. They have come two times and their 13 year old daughter said, I want to I want to come to Christ and get baptized. So on their third Sunday at our church, she got baptized. And like, Dang. so you look you're like, okay, Lord, you cool. are, I don't know. Anyway, it, I, it was an amazing service. But the reason I bring that up is it got me thinking about like the inheritance that we're leaving to the next generation. Mm. And this is going to sound like a funny segue, but hear me out. I was, uh, this guy was on Twitter who I've never followed before, Brian, but I don't know why I kind of stumbled upon him in the algorithms. Again, I'm not even on Twitter that much <laughs> these days, but he's a guy who's, um, he writes about like his tagline is basically your bucket list matters more than your to-do list. And it also mm. says he's surfed a thousand days since 2018. And basically what he talks about is that we are wasting time 
saving, 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 working, 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 working to leave our kids or our grandkids some great inheritance when the inheritance we actually want to leave for them is like time spent with them. Mm-hmm. And so here's, here's what he says. I want to know your thoughts about this. He says, okay, if I, how old will your kids be if you die at the age of 85? And then he says, here are four bizarre insights that will make you want to work way less. So how old will your kids be if you die at 85? He says, if I die at 85, my oldest daughter will be 50. We'll probably be able to leave her a decent inheritance. But is that really the best outcome? And then he goes on to basically say, not all dollars are created equal. If I gave my 90-year-old grandma $10,000, there's nothing she could do with it. As you get older, your ability to, quote, buy experience goes, buy experiences goes to zero. The opposite is true for someone in their 20s. $500 for a guy's trip can create a lifelong memory. Paying for a gap year can shift a child's perspective of the world. So back to my 50-year-old daughter who inherits our assets when we die at 85. The utility of that money has declined substantially for her. If anything, it may be more useful for her kids. So long story short, here's what he gets to, Brian. It becomes harder to buy experiences with age. Mm-hmm. Oversaving is a suboptimal life strategy. Mm-hmm. Many risks can be insured away. And if you lower what you leave behind, you can work less. So essentially what he's arguing for, and I'd love to know your thoughts on this. Do you leave your older children a smaller inheritance so that they can and you can live a better life now? Like ultimately what his argument is, do you pay for your kids to have experiences now knowing they might not get them when they're older? Yeah, I, I, that makes sense. So I, a couple of things come to mind as you tell these stories. First is... Uh, and this isn't the exact point, but sometimes the binary of you either work a lot and, and save, or you enjoy life feels unfair, right? Mm, Like, yeah, yeah. A lot of us, you know, we work and work and work so that we can pay the bills now Mm. or send our kids to college. Like I don't know, I don't know that I'm, I ever work right now and think to myself, I'm going to keep working so that I can leave a lot to my kid. I don't really think a lot about what I leave my kid. So, yeah. Uh, but I do get what he's saying because there is some sense of it's less about years for me, Aubrey, where it's like, should we use our money? Should we save, 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 save so that when we die, we can leave money to our mm. kids who might be older? Like, Mike, you asked how old will our kids be when we're 85? I think Madeline will be 59. My oldest yeah. kid, we had her yeah. when we were 26. Jackson will be 55. Emily, yeah. 53. Um, but I think the better question for me is why not spend your money now with your family so you guys can all enjoy it together? Mm, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, or help them out with a house or help them out with a carpet. You know, yes. also the other thing about less about buying experiences, but also chances are when my kids are in their 20s or 30s, they're going to be a lot more needing of help to get ahead and get going. Absolutely. Than hopefully in their 50s, they've kind of. You know, they're, they're doing they're their a little more so established for me. This is less about inheritance and more about what's a wise use of of money time, because, again, Twitter's like this. I, I, I somehow in my algorithm have gotten where I get these things from people who are like, 
I used to work nine to five, but now I make YouTube videos and every person should be making $10,000 a month by making YouTube videos. And you're like, I don't think that's true. That's not how it works, right? Because, and then they talk about how much better their life is now because I started doing this and now I yeah. can go pick my kids up and now I can do this. And you're like, yeah, I don't know. Maybe, right. maybe right. not. And so right. uh, I do. I like the the point, though, of this. Think through what you're going to do with your money and what's the best use of your time to build relations. Like, again, we always say nobody lays on their deathbed going, wow, I really wish I had saved more or really that's wish it. I worked yeah. more. Yeah. So how do you live your life like that now? Yeah, I think that's the point I want to ultimately get to, like even swinging back to seeing these kids get baptized is like, what's the what's the actual inheritance you want to leave your kids? Like we can think about it as money. And I and I do. We've Kevin had a mentor. He passed away from cancer a couple years ago, but he um, his parents gave them their inheritance when they were in their 20s for starting their family because his parents were like, you need it now. You need to be able to buy a home. You need to be able yeah. to, when you're 60 and we are dead, like hopefully you're fine. And so he actually followed that example too. He gave, and granted he died early because of cancer, but he gave all his kids their inheritance in their 20s as they were starting families, starting careers, et cetera. Interesting. And I think there is something really interesting to that. But then simultaneously, just to ask the age old question you and I keep coming back to is, okay, when you are 85, What's the inheritance you want to leave your kids and your grandkids and your great grandkids? It's probably maybe some money and financial stability. I do think that probably is a gift, but also like a gift of faith and a gift of love. And they knew that grandma and grandpa loved them and poured into them. And I think if there's a way to do that, not work yourself to the bone so that all you're leaving is money, but think about inheritance as a gift of faith and a gift of yeah. love. That's a broader category. So Absolutely. anyway, that was a really, really interesting to read that. Well, coming up next, Brian, I was in the city over the weekend and had some wild conversations about gender roles in marriage. And I want to talk to you about them when we come back. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Brian, um, you and Carrie have been married for how long now? 20 Four, 23 years of wedded bliss. Yes. Wedded bliss. Years. And Kevin <laughs> and I are just behind you with 22 years. Um, when you guys are, we're starting out or maybe even now in marriage or yeah, I'll just ask it like that. Did the topic of gender roles come up much? Like were you guys like, these will be our gender roles in marriage? I don't ever remember talking about them. I yeah. don't ever remember us like there was we talked more about like in premarital counseling and stuff like what are your expectations for, you know, and so they come out a little bit like there. Like I remember pretty early on. Carrie and I never said, well, the woman does this and the man yeah. does this. Yeah. But to be truthful, our marriage probably functions in mm -hmm. the roles that we play a lot like a traditional gender yeah. marriage. Yeah. Car Carrie cooks. Carrie does the laundry. I mow the lawn. I we talked about the, the inside bill. of the house versus the outside of the house. So right? <laughs> that's where these conversations become interesting, because if you made a list of traditionally women's roles in the house, mm -hmm. traditionally men's, we probably fit it pretty well. Pretty traditionally. But, but we never sat down and were like, here's the women's roles. Here's yeah. the men's roles. So uh, yeah. how about you guys? No, we we definitely never had like I. 
I, I don't ever remembering us going, you will do this, I will do this. But as time has gone on, like things have just happened. Like some are traditional. Uh, I, I do more of the lion's share of like the cooking, the grocery shopping, the, the, what we were talking about before, like the inside of the housework. Kevin kind of deals with the outside of the housework and the cars and, and that kind of stuff. So I would say that's very traditional too, but it wasn't like we sat down and we were like, you will do this and yes. I will do this. And it's not that the other doesn't assist the other when needed. For sure. For sure. But here's what, okay. So here's why I'm bringing this up because I was with um, some young adults on Saturday and great group of young adults. I mean, they're fantastic. But two things. But you happened. are not of that group, right? Like you're out of the not, age of young adults. I am twenty plus years older than many of them, you know. <laughs> and married, and many of them were single. In fact, I was like holding court with like five single guys. And some of the questions they were asking me were really about gender roles. And I mean, this will tell you kind of the background they were coming from, but like really like how do Kevin and I kind of think through gender roles in our family? And they were specifically wondering because here I am, a leader, a so-called pastor, a preacher, like doing things that are sort of outside of the norm. And they were like, that was very baffling to them. Like that was kind of outside wow. of their understanding of women and women's roles. And so they were just like, how do you guys... And they were being so kind and polite. They kept sort of like tiptoeing around what I think what they actually wanted to ask. But here's here's what the question finally came down to. One, how do we do gender roles in our family? And I was like... I kind of answered the way you you and I just answered, and I was like, but that's not a prescription. Like, right. whoever God gives you to marry, like, you guys figure that out. Like, there's not a—I think they really sincerely wanted to know biblically, like, what are the sort of roles? And I was like, I there's just not a lot in Scripture about right. this stuff. So, but then the other question that finally boiled down to is one of the guys said, okay— I know, like, I've been hesitant to be a leader, and some of the guys at my church have called me out into leadership. Like, as a man, I need to step up and lead more. And, like, if we're thinking about, like, a Proverbs 31 woman, and and I was like, okay, where are we going with this? You know, and he finally was like, okay— does your husband ever have to rein you in? That was ultimately the question he asked me. Like, meaning, like, because I am leading too much or preaching too much you or said whatever. All the time. <laughs> That's constantly <laughs> what my husband does is rein me in. And they were basically kind of saying, like, does he call me to a more of a stereotypical gender role? Because I tend to be operating outside of a stereotypical gender role as a female pastor. Right. So I was like, I can't, I, it took so long to get there. Like I was That's like, funny. ask me again, ask me in a different way. I don't know what you're, I don't know what you're getting at. But I finally said, and I'd like to know what you think about this, Brian. I finally said, you guys, my husband loves Jesus and he loves me. And that means he empowers me to be who God has called me to be. And certainly we have debates about what, you know, and I told him about grad school right now, we both want to go to grad school, but he's going to go. And then I'm going to go like, but that's not necessarily a gender role conversation or like a, he's the leader conversation. That's just a, what's working for our schedule conversation. But I kept saying to them, like, Jesus is the head of our marriage. Mm. Jesus leads my husband. And therefore, my husband is not trying to like squelch me or control me. That would not be a good husband. Now, if I was doing something that was ungodly or sinful, but like he's empowering, he's undergirding. He's, and they were like sincerely like, 
wow, we have a lot to think about. That's interesting. And I was, it was just interesting to me, Brian. So here, you're a guy. I am. Tell me your take on all of that. Uh, Can we just start with the take of maybe the best line you've ever said uh, on the history of the show (laughs) is, quote, Aubrey Sampson's quote of the day. I was holding court with five single men. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> tweet it tweet it just, share it i just picture i picture that scenario i was holding court with five single men and then and then I, I didn't hear anything you said after that it was just like the way that it was though like i was behind a table because it was my book table on a chair and there were literally like a half circle of like five or six guys seated around me like peppering really me with these. it was very fun i mean it was very good natured and fun it could have been totally get it, it could have not been that but it wasn't it was totally it was get it delightful uh, to the bigger, larger conversation, I do think, uh, regardless of what you believe about leadership and this, that we have put a really weird through the generations, I think this weird pressure that I don't is not helpful on men and women to act a certain way in their marriage. Thank you. Like, yes. You met. How many conversations have you had with husbands? And maybe I've had more of them because I, it's easier to have since with I'm a guys. guy yeah. of guys who think they're failing leading in their marriage. Oh no, Happens. we have those all the time, all the time. I'm all not failing like I should. I'm time. not leading like I should. And, and even women going, I the, wish my husband would lead would X, Y, Z. Yeah. But nobody has defined that well. So I can only speak for my own marriage. Like Carrie and I, you're, you're going to just make it work like it, yeah you're gonna yeah. get into your own rhythm and that's what we've tried to generalize all marriages should look like this right all should look like this uh the next time i tell carrie hey as the head of the household i need <laughs> us to do this will be the first time and it probably will. the last time because she'll be like pardon me <laughs> say that again <laughs> and probably the last time it's just not how we function no and, that, and it's i that, don't think that's how a good marriage functions at all and that does that never came out of a conversation of what do you believe about him yeah. what do, yeah no, we just got married and we this is the way our marriage functions yeah we've divided our our stuff around the house in what works for us and yeah it, i don't know it, it's just there's so much pressure that people put on like I've sat in more premarital counseling sessions where the husband's like, well, now that I have to lead, I'm going to make sure we do devotions three times a day. Right. And you're like, days. and I'm like, dude, <laughs> what? Like, who told you that breath? Like yeah. you just need to go. And so what I hear from you is a lot of those good nature guys who, you know, you were holding court with, uh, <laughs> have been pounded with these messages that That's are not it. really grounded in reality. Right. And they're trying to figure out how do you actually live these out? And you're like, mm-hmm. yeah, no, that's not that's how part works. of why I was like, ask me a different way. Cause I was like, I don't even know that I understand the question, but that's what right. I realized is they're being pressured. They think they have to be this certain type of godly man who does these X, Y, Z things that I just actually don't think is godly or biblical or fair or realistic like yes figure it out with your wife and god you know what i mean and god's gonna bless a whole bunch of things it doesn't have to anyway so that's interesting for me to hear you you say that from your perspective as well all right well hopefully i'll keep holding court with single men throughout my life coming up next brian uh we're gonna talk about a very strange question 
have we been showering wrong? But I actually have <laughs> other questions for you. Are we putting uh, the wrong thing in our coffee? Is red wine actually good for our heart? We have lots of oh. questions to unpack when we come back. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Well, Brian and I'll be back tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.